Chris. So we're going to jump into Genesis, uh, basically like 12, 13, dabble in 14 a little bit. I'm going to tell you the story of Abram and Lot. Does anyone here like teaching? You like teaching? You like teaching. This, I'm not going to like, you know, call you up to take over. Just curious, just as a generality. I love teaching. I enjoy it. <clears throat> Many years ago, I was teaching a class, not here. And I can only tell this story because it was many years ago somewhere else. I was teaching a class, and a couple sessions in, I had a student that took issue with something that I had said. And so we had some discussion in class, and I realized, like, something, there's a misunderstanding. But I didn't want to take up the whole class time, you know, so I said, let's talk after class. And so after class, we talked, and got even weirder, like, either I'm very confused or you're very confused, and so we sort of, I sort of just like, eventually just kind of cut it off and said, I, I can't totally resolve, I, I, I kind of understand where you're coming from, but I also kind of didn't really say that, so a little more time went by and uh, an assignment was turned in to me, and there was an eight-page section in the middle of the assignment that was a response to this issue that they had with something that I didn't really say. Eight pages. So I'm gonna read that now. No. And I thought, okay, this is getting kind of awkward. It came up a few more times in class, and each time I just kind of had to be like, okay, I understand you've taken issue with this, but this is not the time. And then the next time I heard about it was uh, I had been asked to participate in arbitration with a third party over this disagreement. Did I tell you I love teaching? How many of you know what I mean when I say there's always that one guy? Which would lead you to assume that I'm talking about a guy, but maybe I'm not. Today we're going to talk about that one guy. I'm going to tell you a story. Drew last week introduced us to the character Abram. Genesis chapter 12 starts the rest of the story of the Bible, the family of Abram and his children. We're introduced to Abram by God's promise to him. Remember, he said, I'm going to take you, I'm going to give you a new place to live. I'm going to bless you and your family and everyone with you. Genesis 12, 4, so Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now, reading between the lines, do you know who invited Lot? Nobody invited Lot. <laughs> but Lot came along. So they moved, left their home, established a new dwelling in the land of Canaan, the land of promise. A little bit of time went by, they ran out of food. There was actually a famine. And so Abram said, uh, there's no food here. I don't want us all to starve, so let's go down to Egypt and find some food. So they went down to Egypt, and guess who came with? Lot came along. Got down to Egypt. We don't have time to get into this story, but Abram did the thing that he does a few times where he tells his wife to pretend like his sister because she's really beautiful and he doesn't want to get in trouble. So Pharaoh says, wow, she's really cute. Takes her as his wife. God says, dude, that's not okay. And Pharaoh says, dude, I thought it was his sister. And so Pharaoh goes back to Abram and says, man, that is not, 
that was not cool what you did when you told me that your wife was your sister. I know, it's a weird story. It's in the Bible. So then, uh, food shows up in Canaan again, so they, uh, Abram picks up his family, all of his, sort of his tribe, and they go back to uh, Canaan, to the land of promise. And, and a lot went with him. They get back to the land of Canaan. They settle down. Uh, they both have flocks and um, herds and uh, servants that uh, take care of those flocks and herds. Well, a little bit of time goes by, and they're running out of grazing space. And what's happening is, is that the Abram's guys, his herdsmen, and Lot's guys, his herdsmen, are not getting along with each other. They're in conflict with each other. Oh, I didn't mention Lot is Abram's nephew, by the way. So Abram reads the situation and approaches Lot and says, Hey, Lot, um, this is my land, so you need to get out of here. No, that's not actually what he did. He said, Hey, Lot, I understand that our herdsmen are not getting along with each other, that there's some conflict over resources, and I don't want that conflict to become our conflict. So, um, I'd like to make an offer to you. Um, pick where you want to go. Pick a spot. And wherever you want to go, I'll, I'll head the other direction and give ourselves some room here. And so the story tells us that Lot looked around. There's tundra over there. Anchor River Bottom over here. Very luscious. Lots of green growth. Unending supply of water, which is a big deal, right? And Lot says, uh, yeah, I'll take the river bottom. That's where I want to go. And Abram says, okay. You go to the river bottom, I'll go the other way. The narrator tells us that the river bottom was also where Sodom and Gomorrah were. If you haven't heard about Sodom and Gomorrah, which if you're reading the story for the first time, you hadn't heard, the writer says, and these were exceedingly wicked cities. Like way worse than, well, I was going to say an Alaskan city. I won't. <laughs> so God shows up again to Abram and says, Abram, I want you to look to the south and to the north and to the east and to the west. I want you to scan this whole thing. This is all yours. I'm going to give all of it to you and your family. It belongs to you. In fact, if you want to, go travel through it and check it out. This is all going to be the land of promise for your kids. And so Abram, Lot moves to the Jordan River bottom. Abram moves a little bit further uh, north to Hebron. He builds an altar to the Lord. He settles there. And then a skirmish develops. There's actually five kings and I would tell you their names, but after many years of studying the Bible, I still can't pronounce any of these names. There's five guys. That's where that started. And they, uh, they banded together. Now, don't think of these as kings like King Nebuchadnezzar. These are more like, uh, more appropriately, like tribal leaders, right? Um, so there's five of them, and they get together, and they say, hey, let's go raid stuff. And so they go down to the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. There's four tribes down there. 
And these five tribes come down and they take everything. They take all the families, they take all of the women, the children, and all of the stuff, and they start hauling everything off to go back home. Well, one of the servants shows up and tells Abram, hey man, uh, so you know your nephew, the guy that's uninvited, that's always taking stuff. Uh, so he's in trouble. He just got kidnapped, him and his family and all of his stuff. And he's getting hauled off to somewhere else. And Abraham said, good riddance. No, Abram rallied his family together. It says that there were 318 men in his household alone. And then he actually reached out to a couple of uh, neighboring families, neighboring tribes, and said, hey, guys, I could use your help. My nephew's in trouble. And so it says that they came to these five kings uh, at night. They split up, and they were successful. They were victorious. They rescued Lot. They rescued his family, his children, and all of his belongings, including all of the families and belongings of these other kings, Sodom and Gomorrah. And after their success, the king of Sodom approaches Abram and says, Dude, I can't, I mean, I can't thank you enough. We would all be slaves. We would all be lost, possibly killed. I want you to, to take whatever you want of our belongings as a gift. Genesis 14, 22, Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong, or anything that is yours, for fear that you would say, I'm the reason that Abram is rich. I'm the reason that Abram is blessed. Abram says, I appreciate the offer, but I'm staking my claim with God, and no one else is going to get credit for what's going to happen through my life and my family but him. No, thank you. And Lot moved back to Sodom, settled down there. That's the story, Abram and Lot. Let me draw just a couple of distinctions between these two characters, a couple of observations. One of them is, Abram was the peacemaker in the relationship. When he realized that there was conflict and potential for growing conflict, Abram was the one that went out of his way to address the conflict and say, hey, I want to be at peace with you and your guys. Lot, we don't know that he wasn't a peacemaker. We just know that he wasn't in this story. Abram was also humble. He says to his nephew, who has no entitled uh, reason to lay claim to anything, he says, you take whatever you want and I'll take the remainders. And Lot says, I will take whatever I want. Now this is a different sermon, so we don't have time to get into this, but if you're Lot in that situation and Abraham has this amazing promise from God, you say to Abraham, no, I'm gonna stay close with you. Let's hang out because God seems to like you. Thirdly, Abram is willing and able to rescue, which is a good thing because guess what? Lot is a guy who gets into trouble and needs to be rescued. 
Lastly, Abram was the guy who depended on God alone. He tells the king of Sodom, no, I'm going to stake my claim with God. If I am to be blessed, it will be by his hand, not by yours. With Lot, we don't really know. For some of you, just like with Abram, it's a particular family member. In his case, it was his nephew. We don't know why he's part of the story. We don't know who invited him here. However, we do know that he doesn't keep the relationship intact. He doesn't make that effort. We also know that he's going to act selfishly and take what he can get. We know that he's going to get himself into trouble. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a coworker. It's that one person that you think to yourself, man, apart from their existence in my story, this would be really great. I would love this job, except for that guy. Sorry, that was an incidental point. Silas, I love you. Except for that guy. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe you found the absolute most perfect piece of property that you could have ever imagined. This is going to be your dream home. And so you built your dream home, and the view is perfect, and the eagles are in the trees nesting around you, and the moose frolic in the lawn, and everything would be perfect, but somehow you ended up with a neighbor who is unbearable. You didn't invite them to live there. They don't care about keeping peace between you. They're always acting in a self-serving way. They tend to get in trouble that they need help getting out of. Actually, I've seen this, uh, this whole idea at work in small groups, like house churches. Someone will say, man, we would have had a really great experience, but there was this one lady that came and she just ruined everything. We would have been a great Christian meeting except that one kind of awkward person, you know, ruined it for everyone. This is my observation from Genesis 12 through 14. We do not know Abram as a dependent, humble peacemaker, willing and able to rescue without Lot in the story. If you're like me, you can succumb to mental fantasies, imaginations of how great this part of my life would be, but for that one person who seems to be interrupting that. How great school would be, except for that one classmate who's always difficult to be around. How great my work would be. I would love this job, but for that one person the only reason we know Abram as a dependent, humble peacemaker and willing and able to rescue is the way that he responds to Lot. And this is what it really boils down to. I want to feel like I'm a good person. 
I just don't want to have to prove that I'm a good person. I want to believe that I am a transformed Jesus follower without paying the price of becoming a transformed Jesus follower. You know, I would be more like Jesus if you weren't so much like, you know, who? What it really boils down to is I want the Christian faith without a cross. And I refuse to acknowledge that God has placed this person into my life as a form of a refiner's furnace. And as that refiner's furnace gets hot and the heat is applied to me and these imperfections in my own heart rise to the surface in response to this difficult person, I go, do you see what you did? Lot's assigned role is to reveal the quality of Abram's faith and the depth of his confidence in God. And within his role, he's no less essential to the story that God is writing. If he was not essential to the story, guess what? You wouldn't be reading about him. Here's my point. Four words. Lot reveals Abram's faith. Lot is the, is the background upon which the quality of Abram's faith will be made known. Having received the abundant promises and provision of God, how will I respond to the one who seems to want to ride on my coattails? Matthew 5, verse 44, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you can prove which family you're a part of. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? You can replace tax collectors with any term that you use to describe the people you like the most, or sorry, you dislike the most. Even they do that. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than anyone else? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? What he's basically saying is that if you are a really fantastically wonderful Christian, when everyone around you is in agreement with and in support of everything that you believe, say, and do, congratulations. You're just like everyone else on the planet. But what will you do when there's a person in your life who does not pursue peace, who acts selfishly, who needs rescuing. I'll give you a line that you can use to that person. It's covert. You'll know what it means, but they won't. Just say, you're really being a lot right now.
1 Peter 2, verse 20, for what credit is there if when you sin and you're harshly treated, you endure it with patience? If you're a jerk and people are a jerk back to you, and then you patiently endure, nice. But when you do what is right and you suffer for it, you patiently endure, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, the person, the disruptive personality, the one that in your imaginations you, you would wish to exclude from the story of your own life, they are no less essential to the storyline than you are. In fact, Peter says, the way that you respond to that person is in summation your entire calling as a human being. Since Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his footsteps. So two questions. Do you have the promises of God? The answer is yes. <laughs> Let's try that again. Do you have the promises of God? Yes. yes. Do you have the example of Jesus? Yes. Then you already know what to do. God, I can't even count the number of times that I've, I've wished for a faith that's untested. The number of times that I've wanted to believe myself to possess certain positive qualities, but I, I resent the opportunity to actually show those qualities and have them be tested. But we have this example in you. stepped into our mess and suffered on our behalf. And so God, this is my prayer for this group this morning. Whether it's a difficult family member or a coworker or a neighbor or a friend, would you, would you rescue us from wishful thinking? Would you give us the grace to own the moment, own the opportunity, have our faith be proven, tested, and to come forth as gold. Give us the grace to be the unselfish peacemakers in a world that's at war with itself. And in all of that, may we, may we embrace the opportunity to become even more dependent upon you and you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.